Hello, world. Welcome to episode seven of the Black and White Theology Podcast. Yeah. I am here with Tyler St. Clair. We are your well-done hamburger. Ugh. That dark, beefy burger in the middle and that tan. There's nothing tan about you. Fluffy bun (laughs) on the outside. There's nothing tan about you. I am 100% Polish. I, I tan pretty well. That's not accurate. My wife is uh, the whitest person on the planet, though. And uh, I don't know. She will get sunburned if she walks out in the sun for five seconds. And so do all three of my kids. So. Your children are very melanin challenged. We go through a lot, a lot of sunscreen in my house. <laughs> Beautiful children, but Thank you. Not, a, not an ounce of melanin. <laughs> Oh, well, Tyler, we had a complaint this week. Did we? Yeah. We'll just say his name starts with a D, and he said our podcast is too long. Well, he won't hear this because he said he doesn't listen to it. So. Well, I, I wondered. It's We're only a minute and 20 seconds in, so maybe he'd be on. I don't know what his I'm threshold not. is for, like, he only listens to podcasts past three minutes, maybe. Uh, listen, I don't know, man. Gotta love him. You do. That's my man. But it's That's my man's. It's hard with our level of knowledge and chemistry <laughs> and how we, we oh. could just spend all day together. That's uh, not true. How it's hard to keep <laughs> this podcast within, you know, three hours. My you know. wife and three of my children. <laughs> and you, you have a lot of children. You have more than three, so I only have five. Really? You have more than five. I only have, shut up. I have many surrogate children. Pastor Tyler loves the kids. All right. All right. Well, today uh, we're going to be jumping into, back into the tulip, also called the two dip, which is a new social media hashtag. It's taken over the world. No, it's taken over your house. Renaming the tulip two dip. We last week talked about well, it wasn't last week. Last episode talked about limited atonement, which we also call definite atonement. Today, we're going to be talking about irresistible grace. And we are finally going to get to our pastor friend down in Birmingham. So, before mm-hmm. we do that, we're going to jump into our mailbag. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. We pretty much don't have any mail. <laughs> I just wanted There's to play. That. I just wanted to play the drop. All right. So we're pretty much out of mail. We had a whole bunch of mail. We told you to stop sending in mail, and you did. You listened very well. But now we need more mail, or we'll have to cancel the podcast. So <laughs> if you want the podcast to continue. You must send in your mail. You can do that to bwtheology at gmail.com or on Twitter at bwtheology. We did have a question from a little while ago from Pete, and he wants us sometime to talk about the theology of hell and the natural counterpoint being the theology of heaven. So we will 
shelf that for another topic. I think that is a good topic. And next episode, we'll finish the Tulip with Perseverance of the Saints. And then it's going to be game on. We will be able to talk about whatever we want. And we have a whole bunch of things like that that we'd like to talk about. So, mm-hmm. other than that, send us in your mail. Let's get to Birmingham, Alabama. We have this article. This is a uh, oh from May something that. Okay. Uh, what's the, the meaning? What's the purpose behind this? That was the video. Not ready to play that yet. There is a video that I'm going to play. It is of a black pastor in Birmingham. He's in the city. In the background, there's a sign up that says New Era Baptist Church. And then the lettering on the sign says black folks need to stay out of white churches. (laughs) And this is about a five-minute video. Well, whites left the inner city. For some reason, my computer is really liking to play that when I don't click it. Uh, So the story behind this is there's a Church of the Highlands, which I assume is some kind of mega church down there. Yeah, huge. Okay. Huge church. Possibly setting up an inner city satellite campus Mm -hmm. in a high crime area of the city. And that's what spurred on the news story for this story. Probably what spurred on the sign. Uh, The pastor's name... It just says Birmingham Pastor. Maybe it'll say his name. Whites carry their churches with them. In the video that is really wanting to play. So, here we go. (laughs) Talk about this side. Okay. Uh, What's the the meaning? What's the purpose behind this? Well, whites left the inner city. Whites carry their churches with them. They moved to the suburbs. White folk have proved they don't want to live next door to us or be our neighbors or worship with us. Now they want to plant a white church in a black neighborhood under the umbrella of supposedly to fight crime. The real reason the Church of the Highlands want to put a white church in a black neighborhood is they have too many black folks at their main campus and they want them to leave and come to a church in their city, in a city. So this is, like you said, Church of the Highlands. We've uh, we heard about their plans to move right. over here to fight crime. So you're against that? I'm totally against it because their reason is not pure. It's hypocritical. If you don't want to be our neighbors, if you don't want to live next door to black African Americans, how can you put a white church over here to help fight crime? As soon as you finish worshiping, you're going to go back to the suburbs like you've done for 30 years. Even though... Uh heard there would be an african-american pastor leading this particular church yes we've heard about the african-american pastor but he'll just be a token the white administrators of church of the highlands will boss him and control his sermons all changes in society started with the black pastor and the black church changes in society will not start in the with blacks attending white churches the white church has been down through the years a racist, hypocritical organization because they didn't preach against lynching, they didn't preach against slavery, and the white church elected a racist president, Donald Trump. 
and we were, and you, we talked about crime with the Church of the Highlands. Uh-huh. And you said you've been here for twenty plus years, and yes. over the years, mm-hmm. you've seen crime actually go down. You want to elaborate on that? Well, crime kind of went down. Crime goes up, but black pastors are the catalyst. Where we work with the community leaders, pastors have conferences. We have job readiness, job retention. We have focus on illiteracy for our black youth, and we work on community. We have community leaders. If you don't want to live next door to us, you can't fight crime in a city where you don't live. You need to know how the people live, what the people here go actually go through. Go go through. Now, I wanna I wanna say something to every African American that's a, that attends a white church. Leave now. Come to your mainstream black church. Your focus is different. Our cultures are different. Again, the white church is under the white institutional church is under watch. Because they elected a promiscuous racist president that build, that's building walls. But some people argue, Pastor, that there are black churches, there are churches in the African American communities that are not doing anything. They're they're not outside of the church, not helping the people uh, who live close to the church. Some of the neighborhoods around these churches, the churches look great, but the neighborhood looks, you know, it's in bad shape. They're not doing anything to help. What do you say uh, against that? Well. We want to say this. It's crime in Mount Brook, Vestavia, Homewood. It's crime in River Chase. It just it, that, it doesn't get reported. We only hear about crime in the inner city. They sell drugs in Calera. So they sell drugs on 280. You have white boys who are heroin cracks, uh, addicts. So what we're saying is, is it's not reported fairly. The white affluent neighborhoods have crime also. Have you have you tried to reach out to the pastor of the Church of the Highlands to, to figure out? Can't the, talk to him. Why is that? Well, it's just the structure. You know, you have to go through too many hoops. And African American pastors, we don't come in and succumb to that. You know, we talk with our community leaders, but the Church of the Highlands need to know what they're doing is racist and bigoted. If you don't want to live in a black neighborhood, then we don't need your churches over here. You want to explain uh, this side of the, your sign, white folks refuse to be our neighbors. Uh, the meaning behind the, the, the phrase here. The Bible says love your neighbor as yourself. Because of white flight and whites moving from neighborhoods when Hispanics and blacks move in, then whites refuse to be our neighbors. And this is my approach to this to the front part of this sign. If you refuse to be our neighbors, if you refuse to be African-American neighbors, if you refuse to live in a black neighborhood, then why do you want a white church in our neighborhoods? Some people say race shouldn't be an issue with this. It should just work together, Pastor. Well, race is a part of the American foundation. You had 250, 40 years of antebellum slavery. You had a hundred years of legalized Jim Crowism. You had lynching in this country. Race is a part of the issue. That's a way to get you off the subject. Okay. All right. So that was Pastor Michael R. Jordan <laughs> of uh, Birmingham, Alabama. Tyler? Yes. You want to start? Uh, 
I mean, I just honestly, I agree with much of what he says. Honestly, um, <clears throat> his solution, I don't, I don't, I don't come to the same, I don't come to the same uh, solutions that he comes to. That you know, we that we remain segregated and whites worship in white neighborhoods and and um, and blacks, you know, must go to a black church. But uh, the historical narrative that he's drawn out, I agree with. The fact that many um, churches that are white-led, their their idea of planting a church in inner city is really just uh, colonization. Um, that's that's basically uh, what he's drawn up. That this church is going to send in a, a church planner, but it's really going to be run by the the lead pastor, and he's just the the his exact word was token. Um, I, I've, I've seen that in my own community. I've seen um, churches get a a um, a black face, a black uh, pawn, if you will. Um, and it's, but it's really the lead pastor of the church that's 45 minutes away that's really pastoring the people. Uh, so I mean, I honestly agree with a lot of what he's saying. I I, I feel the frustration. Uh, I feel the pain. I feel the um, the the thought i mean I, I honestly i wrestle with that living in detroit um mm-hmm. I, we're a product of, of white flight 67 riots happened um our city went from 1.5 1.6 million to uh at its lowest 600,000 mm-hmm. like millions you know over a million people left that were predominantly white and now all of a sudden because we have a white mayor and there's gentrification and there's businesses and there's stadiums now uh, whites are moving back to the cities in dro- in the city in droves, and now every um, every other church planner I meet that's a white guy quote feels called to the city in the area that he feels quote called to is predominantly white and predominantly affluent. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I mean I, I I understand that and and I and I wrestle with that frustration of um, I've been, I've been in the city doing ministry for since two thousand and two, and I hear about. I was I was talking to a guy. He was just going on and on about all these um, white church planners that's moved in and how they were inspiration to him. And my thought was, so what about the hundred and fifty years of gospel ministry that's been happening in the city before white guys came and did it? Right. You know, there was no gospel ministry. There was no salvation. There was no move of the spirit. There was no church planning. There was church planning. We just didn't call it church planning. You know, a, a cat will grab a Bible, a couple of people, and, and, and move into a storefront church and, and, and grind in his community for 10, 15 years. So I, I wrestle with the same frustration. I, I wrestle with the same narrative um, that he's fighting against. But um, I don't come to the same conclusion that whites should worship with whites and blacks should worship with blacks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I definitely, I feel it with both hands, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, let me reply to what you said uh, first before I get to what Pastor Jordan said. I think the the other side of that coin, what makes it challenging for a, a white person or let's say a white pastor in that example that you gave is if you, it's kind of like you're, oh, I can't think of a, uh, a, fr- a phrase that sounds PG, but you're, you're wrong if you do, and you're wrong if you don't, right? So, darned if you do, and darned if you don't. There you go. Um, <laughs> where 
if so i'm white and i grew up in the suburbs right i, I had no mm -hmm. control over that um you know um i mean really you know my parents you could say they they were a part of white flight you know in milwaukee they they were born and raised in the city of milwaukee and then mm -hmm. um because of systemic injustice in our society they had an opportunity you know financially to uh move out to the suburbs Mm -hmm. And the city was decaying, right? And and, yeah. and and we know the history of that. We've talked about it a little bit on our on our podcast. But the city's decaying because of things going on in the government, things going on in the tax system, and mm -hmm. you, and then you have uh, you have redlining and these sorts of things. And in that time, it's 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 wrong what happened, but um, it's wrong in hindsight. Looking back in in the moment. People are buying houses in the suburbs because if someone had a choice to stay in like a decaying neighborhood where crime rates were rising or whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. or move out to this, you know, nicer area, you know, most people are going to, are going to move out to the nicer area. And, and mm -hmm. I know that in hindsight, we, we look at that and say that was racist on a systemic level, what happened to black people. And, um, and if you don't understand redlining, you can't really understand. You can't really talk about race and racism because it's a significant part of our American history of how we it ended is. up how we ended up today. It's not a coincidence that you know Beverly Hills is filled with white people and, and Watts and Compton are filled with black people. It's not a coincidence that every metropolitan city could say the same thing, you know, about certain neighborhoods in town. So, but then that leads you to today. You you have you have I'm 35, so I'm a child of white flight basically, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, you have Pastor Jordan in Alabama and he's saying, I don't want these white people coming into my neighborhood. Like, don't don't come. So if, if mm -hmm. I if I were to move to Birmingham and say uh, white flight happened, it was wrong. It was sinful. Um, the church was a part of it. I'm going to I'm going to try to reconcile that wrong. Right. I'm going to write that wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm going to plant a church in Birmingham. I mean, Pastor Jordan would throw me out, right? He would not welcome me there. Um, well, it, it sounds like it sounds like specific neighborhoods. His his it sounds like his focus is because he kept saying black communities and black neighborhoods. Yeah, there's tons of white, uh, poor, blue collar, heck, no collar, <laughs> right. white neighborhoods in Birmingham. Right. So his thing, I think, is not necessarily the city, but the the neighborhoods that were abandoned by whites. Yeah, and I and I follow that. And and the, mm -hmm. the demographic of Birmingham is going to be much more segregated than Lansing. I mean, Lansing oh, yeah. is a city, but it's much smaller. And because we're smaller, we don't have large neighborhoods that are filled ex almost exclusively with black folks or exclusively with Hispanic folks. You know, our 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 neighborhoods are a bit more mixed together naturally whereas in detroit you're going to have larger areas that are just filled exclusively with with black folks mm -hmm. um, but you know and, and, and the way it works in lansing is i've i've built these relationships over the course of time and, and of years and so for me when i go a few blocks about a block and a half south of where i live is a very poor part of our neighborhood and it, there, there's a lot of blacks and hispanics that live in that part of the neighborhood and that's where we've done a, a lot of our ministry over the years but 
it's it's hard for me as a like if I'm reading the Bible as a white person and and I'm convicted by the Bible that the church is to be multicultural. I'm convicted mm-hmm. that we are to reconcile. Okay, these sins happened in the past. Will we? Will you allow us to have an opportunity to reconcile these things? And I feel like Pastor Jordan is saying to me, not not necessarily the Church of the Highlands. I don't know the details there, and I'll talk about a few of his comments in a moment. Where I think he's probably making a few assumptions. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, as I hear that, I say that's a man who's not interested in reconciling with not me. at all. It doesn't, it doesn't and and I like don't it. think that's right. I don't think that's biblical. Right. right? And so the mm-hmm. Bible calls me to, to be a reconciler. It calls me right. uh, to be a, a, a multicultural, you know, church. And it calls me to minister to the poor and the needy and the broken. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that's where my, my rub is where right. it's sort of like, yeah, you're, you're wrong. If you do, you're wrong. If you don't, you're wrong. If you stay out in the suburbs, but then you're wrong. If you come into the city, cause then you're right. seen as the colonist, you're seen as the, you know, and, and, and for the planters planting, you know, in the parts of Detroit that are affluent and white, you know, they're building, the, there's the gentrification in the condos and stuff. It's mm-hmm. that, it's that tough balance where like, I want to be careful not to, not to judge those, um, not to judge those pastors and say like that they're not Christians or good enough Christians. I mean, they're covered by the gospel and they're, mm-hmm. I just think it's, it's easy to, to bring that sort of condemnation, but at the same time, to 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 make an analysis of like okay if we're going to be doing church planting we need churches in those areas but we also need churches um in the the hard to reach areas right and so right the i don't think it has to be like don't plant in the affluent areas cuz i think right. i think guys like not, you yeah. and i and i've been guilty of this where i think we feel like we can control things like gentrification like we can't oh, we no. can't control white flight that happened we can't control gentrification like it's happening i mean we can hold out a, a, a picket sign or we can send out a tweet but like it's happening right there's like these right. movements and i think we feel like we have more power than we have so no i don't i honestly man what happens in midtown corktown and downtown i i, I legit don't care i it doesn't affect me right um i i don't i don't begrudge I don't begrudge those guys. Um, my my issue is more so. Um, don't don't try to um, paint a false narrative. Right. Yeah, I hear you on that, and yeah, I agree. That that, that that that's my thing. If you want to try, reaching De- you, we're reaching Detroit. We're reaching. You know, right. I I'm call. You know, this inner city Detroit kind of kind of thing. Because right? because what. Because and this this is the thing this the, this is the advantage that a, a white church planner will have. Um, yes. you can have you can have the best of both worlds. Right, you can paint a certain uh, picture and peddle a certain narrative and get people behind that and and people support you financially with a lot of money and you're really just having coffee with 15 people with tight pants and sitting around in the living room and you're calling that a church plant. Right, an urban church plant. Right, or you're you're diverse, and it's really just all uh, white people under twenty eight, tie pants, handlebar mustaches, beards, all flannel, all of the stereotypes. Um, but then, but then you go and you say, well, we're reaching the city, we're or we're doing this. So th- that's my. I don't have that. I don't have that. I don't have that advantage to peddle that narrative. Yeah. So. Um, 
I, I, yeah, I mean, I, I hear you, and I, I also, I give him, I give him a slice of grace, sure, because I can't imagine living in the Birm, I can't imagine living in Birmingham in the '60s. Yeah, you're right. Uh, my mind does not compute that. Yeah, I've experienced some things. I've, I've been harassed by police. I've had guns pulled on me by police. I've been uh, slammed on the, slammed on the ground. You know, I, I've been cuffed and had my car stripped by police. I've, I've experienced some, some bad things. Uh, as far as racism, but I, my mind does not compute living in Birmingham uh, during the civil rights era. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. That's so, a good point. But I mean, nonetheless, we are called to be reconcilers. We are, we are, we are, we are called to extend the, extend the hand, um, and we are uh, called to um, do that. But man, um, I just, I, I don't think it's good. I just honestly think that his generation, people his age, on you know, and and flip that coin on the other side, white people, his age and up, right? <laughs> bro, you can barely get them to you can barely get them to um, get an internet subscription, and get a uh, and get an email. Get an you email. know, what I'm, I know, you know what I'm I know. You, you, not changing you're not changing their view <laughs> right, right right i mean god god can do anything god yes. can do god limiting can, god god can get them an email address yeah god can god can miraculously change their worldview but bro it's not gonna be their generation their, his generation is not gonna for the most part no i hear you and and pastor diverse multicultural yeah uh, vibrant ministries um so first of all the biggest thing i gleaned from that is you need to start wearing tight pants if you want to raise, if you want to raise your fundraising support, uh, <laughs> that will be our goal for by uh, next episode to get you in some tight pants. I'm shaped like an offensive lineman. That will not look. Uh, <laughs> that will not look pretty. <laughs> It'd be big tight pants. Very big. But I think the slice of grace point is important, and and I think I, that because when I watch that video. I feel hopeless. Like, that's how I feel as a white guy watching that. Honestly, mm -hmm. I just feel hopeless. I feel like you hear a lot of push on podcasts like ours. And there is a stream within the church now. And, and, and it's, a, it's a growing stream. And it's a stream where people are acknowledging the sins of the past. They're, they're becoming educated. And, I, and, I'm, and I think it's a, there's a lot of white folks that are younger who are waking up to these things and, and want to mm -hmm. be involved and want to take action. But the reason it makes me feel hopeless is because when you go to get involved, and we talked about this in either last episode or the one before, but it's like sometimes you go to get involved and the response from sometimes, not all the time, but people of color is, uh, well, in, in Pastor Jordan's case, it's like, don't come at all, right? We, mm -hmm. we don't want to have anything to do with you. Uh, and I think we have to, like you said, have that slice of grace of saying this guy's been through a lot. You know, he's been through a lot. And uh, but but then what can feel like is if if you are able to, I don't know, you start getting involved and you start doing things and maybe this I, it can feel like what you're doing is never enough. Like you'll never be good yeah. enough. And mm -hmm. that's when it starts to feel like a false gospel, because the gospel says we're good enough in Jesus and. Um, that's a tension that I have to skate and I've really failed in, I think, in our in my context in Lansing of pushing multiculturalism to a point that I've made 
white people in my church feel like they're not good enough uh, mm. in the gospel when the gospel mm-hmm. says the Father looks at you and you're perfect in Christ. And that doesn't mean we don't challenge one another, and it doesn't mean we right. don't teach and preach on these things, but it does mean there has to be that slice of grace given to both sides, right? Where, mm-hmm. um, And that was that figure skating analogy I used. I won't get all into it again. But um, that's what I guess as I as I as I listen to Pastor Jordan in Birmingham, um, I I do uh, have that. It's important to remember that grace. But I, I overall I feel hopeless when I listen to that, and that that's sad because I don't think. Um, oh, you know, it's just like it's just hard. Here's what it is. It's and it's not just in that video, but it's just in this as I've been on this road for you know really i guess actively since 2008 when you start out on the road you you get pretty idealistic at least as a a white person (laughs) you think oh like you know we can fix this and 10 years in man um be careful what i say (laughs) on the air i just feel hopeless like i feel Mm -hmm. like it it doesn't mean that we need that we should stop trying but it it's way right. it's way worse than I ever knew. Like the depth of hurt is so far where there are people of color that are just they're hurt so much that like they have no interest. And there's a lot of white folks who are just they we're just so used to being in charge. And it's that white superiority complex that's deeply mm-hmm. ingrained in us. And these things just clash and clash and clash and clash and it's it's hard because um it's just hard and i i think that's just not talked about enough you can listen to a podcast like this and feel like yeah i'm part of the solution because i'm listening to this podcast and like Mm -hmm. i'm just saying it is so hard it's so hard and we need to be doing it but I don't blame people now for not doing it because I know what it's right. co- what it's cost me to do it. It's cost a lot, and yeah. so um, that's humbled me. I would say it's yeah. it's humbled me to like I used to point a lot of fingers at white people, not so much at black people that aren't getting involved, but at white people who aren't getting involved. But I've lost a lot, and it's hurt a lot. And to say you know, it's harder for me to point that finger and say. Mm-hmm. Because would you want to move in next to Pastor Jordan if you're a white person and say, hey, like, let's let's live out what the Bible says. I mean, <laughs> that, guy, that guy would eat you alive, you know. Good I mean, you don't have to sign. It's like, I don't have to sign up for that. Um, yeah. yeah, and so I guess my point is, like, I think through what I've learned and through a situation like probably what Church of the Highlands is learning right now with Pastor Jordan and, and others like him is we have to learn – what works and what doesn't work when it comes to trying to trying to fix things, trying to racially mm. reconcile in the church, trying to be multicultural. You might have a hundred ideas, but only one or two of them are good. Yeah. And it's hard to filter out the other 98 or 99, I guess. It, it on the flip side, we, I don't, I don't have that same blacks. We're not afforded that same, uh, idealistic, right? Uh, pie in the sky. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We 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 know that we know the realities of it, and yeah. and that's what that's what Pastor, that's what my man's get that. Right. Um, we we know we know we know the reality, 
Um, I've seen, um, I've seen white guys come in, full head of steam. I'm a planet's church. Three years later, they're gone. Yeah. Why? Because they can accept another job and go somewhere else. Right. They have that same. They they have that same mobility. Um, I've seen white guys come in and plant churches in Detroit and not have to raise money because as soon as they said they were coming to Detroit, denominations threw cash their way. Mm-hmm. And that's not my narrative. Right. Um, my narrative. My narrative is I, I've lived in Detroit. 90 something percent of my life most of my life and i've been here forever i've been doing ministry forever and i want to die doing ministry on the west side of detroit and help plant churches otherwhere that's not sexy mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying that's not sexy uh to a lot of to a lot of people um so yeah it's we've seen it so we don't we, we we're our innocence we're, we're born with our innocence robbed from us right um in black in america yeah it's, it's I was um, me and my wife have been having this conversation with my son. My son's eleven and probably looks twelve or thirteen, big, um, but he's still like maturity wise, probably like ten or eleven. <laughs> so I mean, he's just he he's carefree, just carefree, happy go lucky. He's a kid. He's a kid's kid. Yeah. yeah. Um, he didn't grow up the same way I grew up. You know, he didn't have he didn't have to learn a lot of life lessons I had to learn at his age. Mm-hmm. Um, he still has a lot of innocence. Yeah. So he's walking around in a store with my wife, um, and he has something in his hand, but it's like next to his pocket. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the man at the store came and said, "Excuse me, sir," and had this whole thing with him about, um, you know, was he trying to steal something? Why he's standing next to my wife? Yeah, you know, so we had to have this whole conversation. Like, y- y- you are a young black man. You are always being watched. You're always the the worst is not always. Um, the worst is often assumed of you. Yeah. This is your life, and he yeah. just is like, I just I had it. He had no idea. So uh, uh, the next week, the same situation happened. He he's in the store, has something near his pocket, and my wife was just like, Philip, stop. <laughs> you know yeah. because. Not, now my wife is alerted to it. Like she doesn't mm-hmm. want to have it. So I mean, begin. We're we're born, you know, and at at that age when we become the when we get uh, out of adolescence and head to teenage, we're aware that um, the world is not fair. Yeah, America is not fair. We're viewed a certain way. We're not viewed the same as white man. You know, I, I'm, you know, I'm I'm constantly aware of that. So. Again, I I agree with much of what what, what the pastor said, but I'm not going to uh, come to the same conclusions. I believe um, I would be interested to know um, who the pastor was that they were trying to put. You know, was this really a person of the community? I mean, and again, and and, and what he said was, might there may have been a slice of truth to it. Yeah. Maybe they were. Maybe okay. Let's let's put a let's put a com- and under the guise of you know, uh, let's put it in their community so they don't have to come drive far. But in, in all actuality, it's like keep them in their community. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, it's a mess. It's a yeah. mess. And I think that's like what what you're talking about with your son. It just reminds me over and over of white privilege. And, you know, we're talking about with white flight. That's another type of white privilege Mm -hmm. of the past. But then present day, you know, I'll drive around Lansing and 
you just when you see so the narrative to me growing up was always you know if you do your homework in school um try hard you know you'll you'll kind of be able to do whatever you want and mm -hmm. so then when you see a poor person uh the reason they're poor is because you know they didn't do that they didn't do their homework mm -hmm. in school kind of thing and that's just it's it's just such a tough thing to get your head around because when you actually build relationships with the poor black or white hispanic Mm -hmm. you realize they have so many obstacles in their way. I mean, it'd be like doing the 100-yard dash, and everybody has some obstacle, right? Mm -hmm. But it'd be like if my obstacle was, you know, a couple things that were a foot tall that I had to run, you know, run, jump over, and other people's obstacles were like skyscrapers and, you know, mm -hmm. just – wild animals i mean just you know just this crazy like barbed wire and i mean and we're going to race a 100 yard dash and and see who wins and there's there's poor white people that have a lot of obstacles as well and and mm -hmm. so that's where a lot of white people push back on the white privilege idea but when you when you study the history of it and you study how it's so disproportionate that's really the point and how society the reason it's disproportionate is cuz society was created in a way to make it disproportionate, to make it so that the path for a large amount of white people was easier and for a large amount of people of color, specifically African-Americans, is much, 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 much harder. And I think I'm at a point with my 10 years of studying this stuff and trying to live it out and doing trainings and whatnot that I can get a white person to see that, right, to, to become aware of it and to see it and to say, dang, like, that's really bad. Like, wow. Oh, uh, you know, but then what comes next is, is what's always asked. And I don't know, like, I don't know. And I, and I hate to admit that, but I've tried things. Many of them have backfired. <laughs> I mean, I know what comes next. I know some things that have worked. Mm -hmm. But I also know that I will never be able to fix that. Like, I will never be yeah. able to fix that. And, th and that's hard for me to admit because there's organizations out there and their express goal is we're going to fix that. And good it's kind of like, that. good luck. How you doing? You know, like, how well, how well are you doing? And then you have the other side of it where and, and I'm not looking for sympathy. Right. Like no person mm -hmm. of color is going to say like, oh, you poor white person. Like you finally realized how bad it was for us. And now you don't know what to do. with it. You know? <laughs> oh, you poor baby. Um, <laughs> I definitely won't. But there's <laughs> when you have privilege. Right. And you've talked about it, Tyler, in, in a sense, like it's a different type of privilege. It's not white privilege that was given to you because you're white like when my kids i don't have any sons but if i did you know if i was with my son in that same store i know that the security guard would not come over and say and talk to him and my wife about stealing something right like so there's an inherent privilege i have to be in white now you mm -hmm. have you have a level of privilege now as somebody with connections somebody who's a professional um, you've talked about when you needed a lawyer, you were able to get a lawyer pro bono mm -hmm. because you knew somebody, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas your your typical person on the street, your typical person of color living in poverty, 
They oh. don't even have that type of privilege. Stuck. Right? Stuck like Chuck. Yeah. So if you have privilege, whether it's privilege that you earned, so to speak, you know, you, you overcame the obstacles and you, you know, there's and there's people of color who have. They've overcame incredible obstacles and they're mm-hmm. seen as poster children and they shouldn't be in a, in a sense of i mean they should be applauded for sure but not in the sense of so why can't all these other poor black people right. become like them right um if one in a I, th- call, I call that the ben carson effect yeah yeah the ben if, carson effect well if, yeah. if if one in a thousand people were over to, able to overcome incredible injustice then somehow people love yeah. them some ben carson Look at Ben Carson. Well, then, Look at Ben what Carson. that means is then we don't have to deal with the injustice. If one in a thousand or one in ten thousand was able to get out, well, then we don't need to deal with the injustice that the other nine hundred or nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine have to deal with. Right? That's the mindset there. Look, I was I was reading this um, to, to your point. I was reading this article uh, this morning. A friend of mine put it on Facebook, uh, and it's from last year, uh, but it's still it's a good article. I was reading it this morning. It says, and I'll I'll send it to you so you can link it. Okay. To the show notes or whatnot. It says why the myth, uh, why the myth of mediocrity hurts um, kids of color. Uh, it says new studies find that believing society is fair can lead uh, disadvantaged adolescents to act out and engage in risky behavior. So it, it was, uh, and the whole the story is a teacher, um, a teacher in Chicago basically changed the whole way he taught. Um, because the, the whole narrative, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, work hard, blah, 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 blah. Like his students begin to push back on that. Like, okay, if that's the case, why are all the poor people I know brown? Yeah. You know, all the people in the, all the people that work a certain profession are brown. All the certain people that work are Latino, while people who are white tend to have better jobs. So you're saying brown people inherently don't work, work, work hard and all that stuff. So uh, it's a really good article. I mean, and, it, and I, I felt that as a child. I remember feeling and thinking like that there was something um, inherently wrong with me mm-hmm. because I was in poverty and everyone that I knew, all my family was was black and struggling. Well, everybody who was white appeared to uh, have a, a better life. Yeah. You know, you you just it, it begins to mess with your head. Um, so. Yeah, it, it's. I don't. Again, I don't. I don't. I don't wrestle with the same hopelessness um, that you that you were talking about. I I, I just get. I I wrestle with being uh, jaded. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I, and part of it is part of it is my my personality. I, I realize it's never going to be fixed again. I mean, I just. It's it's been my life experience. I so and there and there's truth to that. It's not going to be fixed, but. I try to uh, maintain a certain level of of optimism, you know, for lack of a better word, that if I can help, and it sounds very cheesy and hokey, but if I can be a part of some 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 um, some part of reconciliation, some part of uh, tangible justice, um, righteousness really being uh worked out if i if i can be a small part of that if i can be a small part of uh white brothers and sisters that i know uh, seeing seeing discrepancies and using what they have to to make changes and and to impact people's lives if i can just be a small 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 part of that 
uh, man, glory to God. I'll mm-hmm. take that as a win. I, I, but I just don't, I don't see this beautiful utopian uh, Xanadu <laughs> happening. Yeah. I just don't see it, you know, not to the new heaven and the new earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'll conclude this uh, topic, I guess, with two thoughts. One, just to kind of tie a knot on what I was saying earlier about privilege, and I think we'll talk more about this in a future episode because that's a, a question I get a lot from white people is now that I know that I have privilege, you know, what do I do with it? Um, my point with, with that's a, it's, it's easy to condemn white privilege, mm-hmm. but you have it if you're white. And, and what do you do with it? Um, we'll, we'll try to talk about that more, but that's, that's what I'm, what I'm getting at with my concluding thoughts on pastor Jordan is like, I don't, First of all, I don't dismiss his comments. Like like you said, his historical analysis is very accurate. He's lived that history. For real. Um, th- it's hard to tell his exact age in, in the video, but I would guess he's at least in his 60s. He might, mm-hmm. be, might be 70 years old. He's lived that. He's lived this history in Birmingham. One of the one of I mean, Mar- Martin Luther King, letter from a <laughs> Birmingham jail, right? I mean, Bro, like, they ain't no joke. Um, but... So I, I and I so I say this respectfully, but I do for me as a, as far as it pertains to my life and what I'm going to do proactively, I do dismiss his comments. And here's what I mean by that: um, there's people in my city in Lansing who think that I'm racist. There's people people of color, and there's people mm-hmm. of color who think that my church is racist. And, mm-hmm. they're, and the reason they think that, and they don't say that about the all-white church out in the suburbs who could care less about race issues and has never even addressed it or, you know, anything like that. The, the reason they say that is because, like I said, when you go to start these things, you have impact on some, and on others you get judged. You get judged for, well, you're not doing it good enough or you did this wrong or whatever it might mm-hmm. be. And I'm telling you, that would make anybody gun shy. Like that's why a lot of white people are like, why would I even want to jump into that arena if I'm just going to be labeled, you know, I'll be labeled racist or I'll just I'm not going to do it right. You know, there's going to be a lot of judgment cast on me from the other direction. And so my point is and this is where I find a lot of peace is I live in a poor urban neighborhood and I have relationships with many people of color in my neighborhood, particularly youth youth that I met when they were 10 years old and now they're 23 years old and they they don't see me as a a, a white colonial person right they mm-hmm. they see me as someone who's loved them and has mm-hmm. been there for them throughout many ups and downs in their life they see mm-hmm. my marriage as the only marriage literally that they know of mm-hmm. in their yeah. life right um and and they'll bring that up to me later like we'll try to talk about things when they're 15 and they just got a girl pregnant and they it's they have no reson they don't resonate at all with what i'm saying and then when they're 23 and we talk again about the same issue it starts to resonate right it's this and it's the same thing in my church we just bought a building we're in a, a different poor urban neighborhood and we do these community cookouts and people come to the cookouts and it's a lot of people of color it's a lot of white people as well a lot of poor people it's a lot of homeless people and we just love them we build relationships with them and they don't care that there's black people in my city that think i'm racist 
They don't right. care that Pastor Jordan would think that I'm racist and bigoted. And I, so I, as a, as a white Christian who's trying to o- obey the Bible and just share the gospel and be in relationship with people, I, have to, I do have to s- sort of dismiss that criticism and say, I can't allow that to paralyze me. I can't allow that right. to say, okay, fine, I will just go live uh, isolated from people of color, you know, and do all these things. So that's why I'm saying what I'm saying is, um, and I think we can talk about it more later. Maybe we'll do an episode on what to do with your privilege. Um, mm-hmm. But we are called to this. I mean, we are called to reconcile. We are called right. to um, to share the gospel. We're called to the poor. And, you know, if someone feels the way they feel, I don't judge them. I don't judge Pastor Jordan. I don't judge the 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 people of color in my community in Lansing that think I'm racist. I don't judge them. Um, mm-hmm. Part of me is racist, and I'm working on that, right? And I'm and I'm dealing with that, and 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 mm-hmm. that's part of being white is when you when you go through an understanding racism training, you're like, dang, uh, all of white society is racist. But Pretty there's much. there's different definitions of racism as well, and that's right. something we can talk about later. We use that word. It's levels. Very levels. very different ways. Yeah. Um, but my point is, you you can't you still can't let those the judgment you're gonna feel from mm-hmm. other people when you jump into this stop you from doing it all together. And I mean, yeah, I mean, look at I mean, no better example than the Lord Jesus Christ. He is a drunk. He's yeah. a lazy. Yeah. <laughs> He's a wine bibber. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, j- the things that the things that the son of man was called, the the names, uh, and I believe it's first Peter, either chapter two or chapter three, it says when when he was reviled or when he was insulted, he did not insult back. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. when we do that, we're following the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, I I was to the point a few years ago, I would I would screenshot and put on social media um, things that I emails that I got. You know, I've done it a couple times. I'm yeah. I'm grown now. I'm I'm trying to be an adult <laughs> pastor. Um, but I mean, I've been called. I've been called. I've been called all kinds of things. Yeah. I've I've been told I've de- left the gospel. I mean, I just all from kinds the of white stuff. and black side for you, or which uh, side did you get it from? Mainly, or? mainly, mainly from the white side. I mean, I, I've got criticized from black people. Yeah. Uh, but it's not as much. Um, yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's just anytime you anytime you do anything. Uh, led of the spirit and under the banner of Jesus Christ, uh, part of the collateral da- damage to that is going to be criticism, critique, and a lot of it's going to be unwarranted, and a lot of it's going to be undeserved, and, lo- and a lot of it's just going to be f- straight up untrue. Yeah, I mean, I've I, man, like uh, a friend of mine, a friend in Oregon, like showed me like something that was put on Facebook, like things that people were saying that I was saying. And it was totally false. Yeah. And I don't even I don't have this large, massive platform. You're big, you're big in Oregon, man. Wow. Well, there's that. No, I mean, but <laughs> because I, I was going I was going to speak. I was going to speak at his church. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on on uh, speaking to church on Sunday and do something on uh, race or whatever. But uh, a contingent of people did not like that. So they just literally started making up things and saying that I was saying things of, of, on social media. Yeah. You know, so that I mean, that's it's just, man, it's just, it's sad. Yeah, it's it's and yeah. I don't know. I mean, you, that's it's just part of it, man. It's part for the course. So, yeah. I'm gonna obey Christ. And um, again, First Peter, he says, um, when they speak ill of you, First Peter two, 
uh, like 19, 11, 12, like when they speak ill of you, they're going to see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Like right. they're going to see that, that you truly are flawed and you lack understanding and you say the wrong things and there are some issues that you're working out, blah, 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 blah. But they're going to see your good works and see that you legit love people, that you legit are in the community for the long haul, that you're not a colonizer like a lot of these cats that want to come and pop up, get a platform until they get some bigger in depth. They're going to see that that's not you. They're going to see your heart, see your tenacity, see that you uh, are there to plant your flagship, and they're going to glorify God. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, take solace in that, that, you know, people are going to see see and say things, but if you're doing it for the glory of God sooner or later, uh, it's going to be... Uh, it's going to come to fruition that that all the accusations aren't true. Yeah, people 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 are going to talk, man. That's just it is what it is. But you know, you're right. And today is worse than ever with social media and things like that. Everybody um, has a voice. Everybody yeah. has a voice, and everybody has a platform. No matter how yeah. uh, ignorant and and foolish what's right. coming out of their mouth is. Yeah. Well, and if you're white and you're going to go into this, you you have to know you're going you, you'll get. It. I asked like if you got it more from black people or white people because if you're white, you'll get it from both sides. You'll get mm -hmm. white people who are saying you're being political, you're leaving the gospel, kind of like you were saying, and they'll leave your church. And then you'll get it from black people who will say you're racist or because you're just not doing it good enough. Like they kind of expect you to become black, and that's impossible. Like you can't. I can't. You know, as much as I want to be Tyler, I mean, he is my Rachel Dozel became black. <laughs> I want to become Tyler. I mean, <laughs> he is my role model. I want to look like him. As well, you should. I want to be him, but that is impossible, right? I mean, like that, and so if, if I'm called racist because I can't become black, right? I mean, then so, but you, but and it's not to say, and I'll say this, and then I'll be done. You and I, we are wrong sometimes. We're not saying <laughs> like, well, we're always right because that's a that's in, in any in any part of life. That's a, a temptation. Is you you can always find some some attaboy kind of people who are gonna just you you know they're they're your people. They're in your corner. That's the problem with the political quote unquote conversation today. You you can always find somebody who's gonna just agree with your side. You know, mm -hmm. you, you can cheat on your wife. And then find somebody that's going to agree with your side, and then it's going to rationalize and justify, you know, your behavior. That's not what we're saying here, right? Um, what we you need people in your life that you have deep rooted relationships with, uh, on, and that's that's hard to build those relationships with people of color, and in doing that, you, you're not going to have a high batting average, right? But you will get some, like you will get some that you'll you'll become truly friends with and have trust with and you got to go through trials first right you have to like mm -hmm. go through the trial and say okay um which of, which of my friends just left me and which ones have stayed with me but have been able to still speak truth into my life right. and hindsight's always 2020 i can look back on always. things from three years ago and say man that person who i thought was a real jerk they actually were right and uh, on my good days, I call them up and I apologize, you know, and I say, hey, you were right. Um, but, yeah, we're fallen people and we're broken people. And so we can't we have to we have to know we're never going to be perfect. And when people lie about us and make stuff up about us, we have to know that God truly is our judge and we're mm -hmm. accountable to him. And it really that part isn't different than when the um, when Jesus was on the earth and his disciples I mean, they were getting arrested for sharing the gospel, and 
Um, yeah, so I guess my my final uh, advice, I guess, is when you when people, when listeners, when you go to do, if you're a pastor and you're going to preach on this stuff or you're going to bring it up in your church Bible study, uh, and I'm thinking of if, if you're white, I think it would apply both if you were black, though, too, is to to give the challenge, but don't forget the grace of the gospel. So don't mm-hmm. make anti-racism or multiculturalism. You have to be this in order to be good in God's sight because I'm just really, really convicted that we're good in God's sight because of Jesus. That's what Colossians right. one twenty two tells us. That's what Romans 8 Three and four tell us, and, and many other. That's what the whole book of Galatians is about, and and we're doing that, that as a series right now in our church. And I'm just shocked at how adamant Paul was about that. That we are good because of Jesus. To- total mm-hmm. depravity, right? There's nothing you can do good that'll make you righteous before God. So we have to be careful on the black and the white side to not set that as the standard for being righteous before God. And then on the very same token still challenge and talk about these issues and be biblical about these things and not just, uh, this happens in the white church all the time, just not talk about those things and just talk about, quote-unquote, the gospel. We, we just we have to do both, right, and, and talk about these issues but do it with grace, and that's right. going to be a very delicate dance, and we're not always going to do it right, and when we mess up to one side or the other, we just repent and we receive the grace from God and if we don't receive that grace from other people, that's between them and God. Like, yeah, can't change uh, it. Yeah, we can, all we can do is repent and then move forward. But um, that's like we need to keep moving forward. We can't, we can't, we can't just stop, uh, even though it's hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you to Pastor Jordan. <laughs> and uh, we're gonna move on now to irresistible grace simply irresistible oh i like that that. (laughs) irresistible grace i'm just using the notes from the desiring god article that we've been using to go through you're being lazy but go ahead tulip that's right (laughs) Uh, there's a lot of bible verses here uh there wasn't as much explanation as much as just scripture so before i start reading the scripture. Tyler, do you want to give any thoughts on what irresistible grace is? Yeah, I found a good definition. Uh, let me see if I can find it. I'll yeah. Read, I'll read Piper's oh. to kill time while you're looking that up. It's just I got a, it. I right. got it. Player. All right. Go I got ahead. it. I'm just trying to help you out. I'm trying to be a support to my brother. You're a fine American. I love you for that. Well, thank you. Um, irresistible or effectual grace is the doctrine that teaches that the saving grace of God uh, is effectually applied to those whom he determined to save, the elect, whereby in God's timing he overcomes their resistance to the call of the gospel and irresistibly brings them to saving faith in Christ. And then R.C. Sproul, a quote from R.C. Sproul, one of my favorites, God's grace is so powerful that it has the capacity to overcome our natural resistance to it. Yeah, good. I'm glad they both mentioned the word resistance because Mm -hmm. (laughs) the phrase is, it's irresistible grace. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting because the very first scripture that was listed on Piper's list was Acts 7.51, which says, 
you men who are stiff-necked <laughs> and uncircumcised in heart and ears, and here's the part I highlighted, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You're doing just as your fathers did. And I highlighted that, and I'm like, wait a second. If this is irresistible grace, uh, you just said we're always resisting the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so that means you can resist it. You're doing, and, and the fathers resisted it. But both definitions you said uh, mention that the irresistible part is that God overcomes yeah. our resistance. So essentially, we're all resisting it all the time. And then for the elect, God overcomes that resistance. Mm-hmm. Would you say that that's accurate? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I like John, John 6, uh, 37 to 39. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And this is the will of him who has sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given to me, but raise it up in the last day. And then John uh, John 6, 45, uh, 44 and 45, no one can come to the Father unless he is drawn to me. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Mm-hmm. And John 6, 65, no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by my Father. So. Yeah. Um, I mentioned this before, but I, I there's so much overlap with irresistible grace and some of the other letters. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think a shorter flower name would have worked. Oh, would you stop? Would be a three-letter flower word. But <sighs> I do try to approach this with. Uh, why do we use the word devil's advocate? That's such a dumb phrase. <laughs> but yeah, I guess you know the counterpoint, right? Because I did grow up with an Arminian mind. I grew I grew up with an Arminian mind. I was still kind of have one, but I that's was fine. <laughs> I was resisting. I was resisting Calvinism, and then God overcame my resistance, uh, and with His irresistible grace, simply con- irresistible, converted to Calvinism. But. So here, here's why. So one of the another text from Piper's list, Second Chronicles 36 to 12. I will not read all of it just because it's a lot of text, but it's Hezekiah's call for repentance. And mm. in it, he says, now do not stiffen your neck like your father's, <laughs> but yield to the Lord. And I bring that up to say I can see the confusion. Like I can see the confusion Arminians have, because if grace is irresistible, why would you call people to repentance? Like if... If it's irresistible, why am I? Why is Hezekiah here saying to the people? He's pleading with them. He's imploring them, "Hey, repent! Like repent, repent! Don't choose to stiffen your neck. You know, repent." Um, and so I think some of the other texts do answer that and and respond to that. But a lot of the other texts are this idea that God calls. So I guess the point being made with the reformed argument is. Because of unconditional election and because of definite, limited atonement, that only that you're only saved through God's calling. And that was what some of the texts that you were reading is mm-hmm. God is the one calling people that while we can resist, we still give out the, the invitation to, to repent. Like I'm still I mean, John the Baptist did that. You know, he said repent yeah. for the kingdom of heaven is near jesus did that. Said, yeah repent for the kingdom of heaven is near so i i get the confusion because repenting feels like my choice like i choose mm-hmm. to repent but i think what's actually happening is it's sort of both things happening at one time where it's god willing it to happen god's opening our heart up without that we are so depraved we wouldn't be able to repent just in our own self because 
we aren't, frankly, we aren't good enough on our own to even be able to repent. Right. So I, I can at least, I can definitely acknowledge that confusion. And even in scripture, it kind of feels like both at times. But I'll say this, if it feels like both, God's call trumps our resistance. So mm-hmm. you see both happening. But if right. God's calling and God's controlling everything, and then people are also choosing God, well, then obviously God is controlling that they're choosing God. It, it, the one can't trump the other, if that makes sense. I don't know if what I said makes right. sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, it's both and. Um, it's not either or. That's where, that's where Arminians always kind of confuse me. Um, because on one hand, you'll say God is sovereign, but he's not sovereign in our salvation completely. Well, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't see how that, I don't see how you can have that argument. Um, either either he's completely in control or he's not. So how I see it is we still respond, um, but only thing only thing our, our only response our our only um, our only action is really to exercise faith. Oh, and that comes from God too. So um, that's the first three four chapters of uh, first five chap- chapters rather of uh, Romans. You know. First Romans one and two, hum, humanity is 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 broken and flawed, and the only way to um, to be redeemed or to be considered righteous or to be justified is through faith, uh, and that and that faith even even comes from Him. Um, so, yeah, we don't. It's not this um, this 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 grandiose moment of okay, I'm 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 surrendering, I'm doing this. We just we exercise faith. And by his grace, uh, we're drawn to him. Mm-hmm. But he he's doing all the pulling. We just we just I, I kind of see it as as he's just pulling and pulling and pulling. And one day we just surrender. You know, <laughs> we just stop. We stop resisting, and he pulls us in. Yeah, uh, that's kind of how I see it. And it would even be that he he's the one that allowed us to surrender, according to these absolutely these scriptures. It was. It was that he chose on that moment that we would surrender. And so I think the critique given to this, I would call the critique like puppet theology, right? Where it can feel like, and this is where some of the snarky remarks will come out, but, but there's legitimacy behind them. So if you were teaching this to someone, a natural reaction would be, well, it sounds like I'm just a puppet then. And, and God's pulling the strings and so it can make you feel par- like defeated. Like, well, why do anything? Like, this doesn't even make sense. And that's where some of that circular argumentation comes in, where if God, then, then it's like God is the one puppeteering me to sin, or God's puppeteering people. I mean, we're talking here just about salvation, heaven and mm-hmm. hell. We're talking about those that are, that are elected out of the punishment that everybody deserves and it the question mm-hmm. then is why would god show grace to anyone uh to pull anyone out of the punishment that we deserve in our rebellion but it does when we start talking about in his sovereignty in all things and this is certainly one of those things it's the same sort of idea to say well again why would i tell people to repent if if god's controlling all these things and so it can feel like i think if you start thinking thinking of it like a puppet you will make yourself go crazy. I, th- I think what we have to, because it's the same with like, why is there evil in the world, right? I think what, what we have to be able to do 
and I'm working on how to articulate this in a, a way that is helpful, but it's to realize that God does not coerce, like we have our, our will and then God's will supersedes all wills. He's sovereign over all these things, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, it doesn't feel that way. Like, so what I mean is in the Bible, you know, you look at the parable of the talents that Jesus tells. I mean, the guy's held accountable for his actions. Mm-hmm. He's held accountable mm-hmm. for his behavior. He's held accountable for, did you invest these things in the kingdom or not? And mm-hmm. the guy that didn't, he said, you know, get away from me. You're a, you're a wicked servant. You know, these sorts of things. And the other ones, he said, good, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm-hmm. So what it seems like from Scripture is, while we're on this earth, it sure feels like I have the choice to obey God or not obey God, you know, to be faithful to my wife or not to be faithful to my wife. It, it, mm-hmm. it, and I am accountable for that. Like, I have my will that God has given me, and I will be held accountable. Nobody's going to stand before God and say, you made me do it, God. You know, that's, that's just simply not how it works. At the very same time, simultaneously, we rest in knowing that God is sovereign. We rest in knowing and, and this God's ultimate sovereignty, I think, is another topic outside of just irresistible grace. But just staying with irresistible grace, mm-hmm. God is sovereign over these things. Mm-hmm. It's simultaneous, I guess. I, can, can you right. give, some, give some thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's both and. We have, a, we, ha, we, have, we have a will, and we operate in God's will, but nothing we do is outside of his will. You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? (laughs) I mean, it makes sense to a Calvinist, but I think an Arminian would say like, yeah, but if nothing we do outside operates outside of God's will, then we don't really have a will, I think is what they would say. And then we're just robots. It's that thing I mentioned before, you'll hear people say, well, it's it's not love. It's not love if we're just programmed as robots, right? You know, and that's very, that's a very Arminian teaching. But uh, our default so, so if you want it that way, our default only, I mean, that goes back to total depravity. Mm-hmm. Our only default is to sin. That's, that's, that. So if, if you really, we have a will and we, we have a, we're, we're agents of free will, but our only will and desire is to sin and rebel and disobey God mm-hmm. and in and of ourselves. That's so, a good point. Pause there for a second, because Arminians use free will a lot, but they'll mm-hmm. use free will to say, I have the free will choice to receive God. Like Adam and Eve had the free will choice to love God. And what you just said is we have free will, but our free will only chooses sin. Our free will is not able to choose Jesus. And that's a huge distinction between the two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's, 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 that's the reason why I, I love the tulip because it, it succinctly, I think personally, I think it succinctly uh, gives a good um, narrative for salvation. And when we get to total depravity, the, the Christian life as a whole, uh, it, they work to, they work together hand in hand. In and of ourselves, our will is only to choose sin. Back to Romans, Romans three. There's none righteous. Um, uh, I believe Romans three, like uh, da, 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 like eighteen nineteen, he says, "Is it just Jews? No, it's Jews and Greeks. We're all guilty." Then he says, "There's none righteous, none that seek God, no, not one." Isaiah fifty three, all like sheep have gone astray. 
uh, and wander to their own way. So, yeah, if God left us, if if if, if God said, OK, fine, I'm going to remove my will and um, and let you have your own free course, it would only be to our detriment. So, man, praise God for irresistible grace. Praise God that he he drew me and and pulled me in because in and of myself, I would not have chose him. I know that person is just from my own life. Right. <laughs> you know, I was not I was not on this spiritual journey. God God hit me between the eyes with a baseball bat called grace. And I, I and I just I stopped fighting, you know, um, so. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think this uh, might be what. Uh kind of a, a wrap-up thought for me is Calvinist should not evangelize any less than an Arminian would. We still, mm -mm. we call the world to repentance. We shine the gospel. We share the gospel. The difference is, and, and this is what I touched on a couple episodes ago, or maybe it was last episode, I don't know. The difference is we don't feel the weight of condemnation on ourselves. Right feeling like it's up to us for this mm -hmm. person to be saved. So my brother, Pete, one of the, he sent in an, an email responding to our last episode, episode six. Um, it wasn't a question, so I didn't include it in the mailbag, but he was encouraged by what we were talking about and mentioned like the parable of the sower that Jesus tells and the parable mm -hmm. of the sower, he just sows seed everywhere he goes. That's you it. Know? That's so it. Everywhere he goes, he sows seed. But the parable of the sower is, uh, I mean, it tells you straight up that uh, not first of all, not everybody's going to receive Christ, right? Yeah. But it mm -hmm. depends on the type of soil that that person is, if if mm -hmm. there's going to be fruit or not. And then there's some of it's rocky, and then you know um, those sorts of things. And there's a lot of theology that can be developed there. But who who decided what kind of soil that would be? I mean, God decided that. Yep. That would tie into Romans nine. I'm going to read a little bit of Romans nine before we close because Romans nine is like. Man, like you hardcore Calvinists love Romans nine because it's it's the hardest core Bible or chapter in the whole Bible when it comes to I I would not disagree. When it comes to this stuff. But it's 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 in the Bible, right? Kinda so is in the Bible. My 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 point is before I read that at the end, um Calvinists are to evangelize just as much as Arminians. It's crazy to me that like in Calvinistic churches, they struggle. I've talked to like a, a friend of mine of a Reformed church. And he's like, you know, our struggle is we have these people that that believe this about God's sovereignty, so they don't do anything. They just kind of they're like <laughs> sit around on their couch, sort of thing. I mm -hmm. mean, we are called to obey the Bible mm -hmm. and Jesus, and not just called to obey it, but like we love Jesus. If Jesus lives inside of us, Galatians talks about that. Galatians two twenty, it says, Paul says. Christ lives in me. He's given the argument yeah. for why, because we're saved and we are perfect in Jesus, why, because we're, we're already seen as perfect. While we're still sinful, we're not, we're not perfect in our behavior. But when the Father sees us, he sees perfection. And the mm -hmm. critique always was to Paul, well, yeah, then people will just sin all they want. And he's saying, Christ lives in me. Right. If, if I've been redeemed, God called me, he elected me, Christ lives in me, how can I not respond then? Right. to the gospel he lives in me and it's the same with evangelism but i don't do it one because i'm trying to earn my salvation i know i'm already saved so i don't i'm not a bad christian if i didn't tell 10 people about jesus today 
But two, I can sleep at night knowing that if everyone I told the gospel to rejected it, it's not on me. I don't have to beat myself up saying, well, I wasn't funny enough or I wasn't engaging enough or I wasn't compelling enough or I didn't do enough. That's not the freedom we have in Christ. In, in some ways, I think that's adding to the gospel. That's what Galatians is all about, that right. they were saved yeah. in Jesus and free in Jesus. And then they added a bunch of other things to make themselves feel like good Christians. Well, good Christian mm-hmm. means a holy Christian. Well, no, you're a holy Christian because of Jesus, Paul says. If you add anything to it, including how much you evangelize, you've added something. You've added a work to added to the, the gospel. gospel. Yeah. And I think that's easily what happens in Arminian circles, especially to church planters. Uh, man, you just get beat upside the head with that. You're not doing enough. And uh, that's – man, we could never do enough. How could we possibly Ever. do enough? I mean, it's impo- – we, we fall short of the glory of God. We can't do enough. And so yeah. you really quickly become subconsciously, not on purpose, but you become this works-based salvation person. At least it's a works-based sanctification person. But I think they're one and the same. You can't be saved by grace – and then stay saved by works, because otherwise you're, you've never were saved by grace then. Never were, yeah. Yeah, it's, I, I don't, I, I think part of it is I don't have the same wrestle with um, a lot of the doctrines of grace that um, others do, because one, I didn't grow up in it. I grew up in a United Methodist Church, um, but they didn't really do much with theology Anyway, so yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was just like, you know, come and just hear somebody, you know, whatever. They weren't firm about anything. So, but I, I just, I don't, I don't see how, I don't see how you come up with anything other, you know, than irresistible grace, honestly. Um, because if, if, if it was any, if it was any other way, um, you know, logically, if it was any other way, Either you had to go on one extreme that everyone would be saved, everyone would make this choice, or nobody would. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Just logically speaking, if that was the case. So, yeah, it's I don't know, man. It's it's open and shut with me, man. I I, I see I see it in the Bible. I mean, I, Abraham, Abraham was not seeking God, and and that's Paul's argument um, of justification. Yeah, Abraham just responded with faith. Abraham was not seeking God. Right. God pursued. God pursued Moses. God, I mean, you look all throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Paul. Paul was riding on his horse on his way to kill other Christians. And God pursued him and stopped him in his tracks. So, I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't know, man. <laughs> and Abraham, Paul mentions in Galatians 3 again to the Jews, or he's writing to Galatia, but they were being influenced by these Jewish teachers. And he was saying... Yeah. Abraham also wasn't saved by the law. He wasn't saved yep. by, you don't, you know, you don't add the law to the gospel. Abraham, your father, he he wasn't saved by the law. He was just saved by believing God. He was believed God, accredited him as righteousness. But then I think the flip side is then. So if that's the case, if God just saves people off their horses and calls them, you know, uh, you know, out of Ur, just speaks to them out of the sky, th- then again, it's back to that idea of well, then why would I evangelize? But if you look at all of all of those people. Paul was saved off of his horse for a purpose, and that purpose was to go evangelize mm-hmm. to the nation. I mean, everybody. You know, Abraham, Abram was saved out of the sky. God spoke to him, right? And he, res- he believed God and responded. 
but God never said, and I'm going to speak to everyone else out of the sky too. He mm-hmm. said, I'm going to go and I'm going to make you a light to the nations. You know, Jesus is going to come. He's going to he, Jesus is your seed. All nations will be blessed through you. There was a lot of active acts of faith that had to come after that. Right. Not to keep them saved or anything like that, but it's just to show everybody Paul led to the Lord. Sure, they were led to the Lord because God irresistibly called them. Right. But it didn't happen by them being blinded off of a horse. It happened by the words coming out of Paul's mouth right. into their lives. And so you can see that, yeah, just because God saves people this way, it doesn't mean we don't go out and evangelize. That, that, no. That's not the pattern right. we see. Even when someone was saved in this sort of very demonstrative, obvious God, you know, saved them in this way, sort of. I way, mean, so. that, that goes back to James 1. You know, I mean, not James one, James, uh, I believe it's James, either James two or three, where he talks about, uh, you show me your faith and I'll show you my faith and works, right. you know, true, true faith produces, uh, works produces, uh, steps of faith, acts of faith. And he uses Abraham as well, but he also uses the prophet, uh, the prophet, he uses the prostitute Rahab. Yeah. She believed and yeah. she responded with acts. So Mm-hmm. The acts don't save, it's the faith, but the faith uh, produces work. So, yeah. My closing thought is from Romans 9. Uh, my homework to readers or readers to listeners is to just go read all of Romans 9. This is uh, Romans 9, 14 to 23. I'm not going to read all of it. I've highlighted, <laughs> actually, so I have a printout of Romans 9, 14 to 23. None of the verses are marked. So I think I'm reading 15 and 16 right now, thereabouts. All right. Uh, For he says to Moses, quote, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Mm -hmm. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. Boom. I mean, that's, yeah. a mic, that's a mic drop right there. Yeah, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's it, man. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything else? No, sir. All right. Well, this wraps up episode seven. Yes, Lucky sir. number seven. I don't believe in luck. I'm a Christian. But the okay. Black and White Theology Podcast. We would love to get some mail from you so that next mm-hmm. episode's mailbag is not awkward and embarrassing like this one was what makes tyler and i feel like we have no friends just you so please send your mail to b that's b as in black w w as in walrus theology (laughs) the black walrus theology podcast no not really uh bw (laughs) theology at gmail.com we are also on twitter at bw theology we will follow you back so you can send us your messages This wraps up episode seven for Tyler St. Clair. I am Noah Mm -hmm. Filippiak. We are your cookies and cream ice cream. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.